Reading from Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying on the what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks again, Lord, just for your incredible love for us, Lord, that you've demonstrated that in Jesus. And Lord, you speak that again to us through your word. So we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts, our minds, to receive all that you long to give us this morning. Lord, that we might become more and more like Jesus, that we might go forth from this place doing what he did. We pray this in his name. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this morning, we're continuing in our series called Encounters with Jesus and discovering God's heart, his love for the lost. And as we do that, what our hope is, is that that would shape our hearts, that we would begin to have the heart of God for others in our lives. So that's where we've been kind of moving through these encounters that Jesus has with different people uh, through the summer. And so we're continuing that this morning with another extraordinary encounter that you just heard about. But to start, I want to start this morning with a little thought experiment. So what I want you to do uh, is I want you to imagine uh, in your mind a person, a famous person that you uh, would love to meet someday but probably will never get the chance to meet. Maybe it's a famous uh, artist, musician, actor. Maybe it's an athlete. Maybe it's uh, someone who's done something really remarkable in the world, Uh, you know, Nobel prize winning kind of caliber person. Maybe it's um, just someone who is in your professional field that you thought, man, it would be amazing to meet this person one day. You kind of look up to them, almost like a hero in your life. So think, think about who that might be, all right? You locked in on who that might be? All right, some of you are having a hard time. You, you have heroes. We all have heroes, all right? So think of a hero that you have, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that tomorrow you get an invitation to a party And that person is going to be there. You are getting invited to a place where you're going to get to meet the person that you thought you would never get to meet. You're going to get to encounter that person face to face. And that's amazing. So you'll be excited, right? 
This is the participation part. Yeah. You'd be excited, right? Yeah. yeah, so you'd be excited. You'd be excited to go to this party and meet this person that, man, you thought, I'd never get a chance to meet this person. Now I get to meet this person. But here's, a, here's the other thing. In the invitation, it's a plus one, okay? So you get to come, and you get to bring somebody else with you. Now, just for those of you who are married, let's just set aside the spouse, right, for a second, just for the sake of this experiment. Your spouse can't go, and there's a very good reason. So now you have to find a friend, all right? <laughs> Just stick with me. You have to find a friend. So now you have to invite someone to go with you. Now, I want you to think about the person that you would want to invite as you're holding in your mind this hero. Who would you want to take with you? What kind of person would you want to take? Well, at least two things popped in my head when I thought through this. It would be someone that I cared about, right? Not a total stranger. It'd probably be a friend. And then the other thing is it'd probably be somebody who at least kind of appreciated the moment that I was inviting them into, right, to meet this person. So just, let's, for example, let's say uh, Justin Verlander is having a big party and I get invited, you know. I get invited to the Astros, one of the star pitchers. I get to go to his house for a party and I get the invitation. And so as I get the invitation, I get a plus one. Now, I'm going to take someone. I'm not going to take a Dodgers fan, yeah. right? <laughs> so I'm not taking a Dodgers fan to this party. I'm taking someone who loves what? The Astros and would be super excited to meet Justin Verlander, right? Okay, so here's why I wanted to start there. Because something like that dynamic exists in this moment that we just heard about in Luke 5, right? There's this aspect of Luke 5 that's talking about this event, this party that's taking place at somebody's house. And these men that we're told about, these four men is what Mark tells us. There's four friends, and they have a friend that they want to bring along to this incredible moment where they get to introduce him to their hero, right? And so that's kind of what this moment feels like, right? So I just want to use that to kind of set our minds on the right path as we enter into the story together. So it's this moment where they're getting to invite uh, their friend to meet Jesus. Now, whatever conception we have of Jesus, um, Luke is making sure we understand Jesus in his context is heroic in this sense. People loved being around Jesus, right? What do we learn here? about Jesus in Luke chapter 5, in these verses. We learn a few things, right? We learn, one, there were huge crowds, right, that wanted to be around him. He's in this home, probably in Capernaum. It's packed with people, crowded. But we also know there's particular people there. We're told there's specific kinds of people there. Who are we told is there? Pharisees and teachers of the law, the scribes, right? So there's these people. And where did they come from? We're told that, too. They came from... Villages all over Galilee and Judea and even as far as Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is at least a day and a half or two days walk for these folks. So you've got kind of the movers and shakers of the political and religious capital of Israel have come out to the country, walked two days in order to sit before Jesus and do what? Hear him teach. That's what we're told. That's what's happening in this context. So it's this incredible moment where you've got all these folks gathered. And it's a big deal. Jesus is in town. All these people. Some people walk two days just to get there and to be with him. And so somehow, in the midst of all this, these guys get wind of this. That Jesus is coming to town. He's going to be at this house. And so they know that. But they know something else that's very important. And we're told this on the front end of this story. At the end of verse 17 in Luke 5, we're told something very important. That Jesus has the power to heal. It says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And these four friends, they obviously knew that. 
They knew that Jesus could heal. Because look what they do. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. They had one goal, didn't they? These four friends had one goal in this moment. And it was to bring their paralyzed friend and bring him before Jesus. Bring him before Jesus. Why? Why was that their one goal? Why was that the thing they were absolutely committed to? Because they were convinced, right? They were convinced that Jesus, if they could just get their friend before Jesus, he would be okay. If they could just get their friend there, that he would be healed. And we're not told anything about these four guys, but somehow they knew that. We're told that. Here's almost a little side note, but they knew that. They knew that because they had heard about Jesus healing. They knew that because they'd seen Jesus healing maybe. Maybe even one of these four guys had experienced Jesus healing himself. They were convinced that if they could just get this friend before Jesus, he would heal him. And so they were committed to this, and they knew their friend couldn't walk. So on this day, they went and they got their friend, and they brought him to this house where Jesus was meeting. Now, it's important to realize uh, something about this friend of theirs, this man who was paralyzed. Because um, this friend, he couldn't walk, so that's why they're carrying him. Um, and in Jesus' day, a person with this kind of disability, there were certain assumptions that were made about this person and that we can make about this person. For one, this person would have not been kind of included in society. They would have been ostracized, marginalized. There was something wrong with this person physically. Therefore, they were kind of pushed to the outside. So they would have been outside community generally. There's another assumption we can make that this person probably uh, was looked down upon and kind of seen as someone who had been cursed by God. That this was the result of something that they had done in their life and that God was cursing them. This was a popular belief, not a right belief, but a popular belief in Jesus' day. And so this man is coming into this moment, and I wonder if he even believed this about himself, right? That he believed perhaps that God had abandoned him, that God had forgotten him, God didn't love him. That he believed these things about himself, even possibly that he had done something to deserve his condition. Maybe he was convinced of that. But these four friends, these four friends, they were convinced otherwise, right? They were absolutely convinced that if they could just get him before Jesus, that God would heal him. They were absolutely convinced. So that's their goal. That's the movement of this whole story, is they're just trying to get him in front of Jesus. But what's the problem? There's a problem. There are obstacles, right? There's obstacles between them and getting him in front of Jesus. And so the obstacles that they face initially, one of them is the crowd, right? They can't get through the crowd. The house is so full of people. They come to the door. They come to the door of the room or the house, and they can't get near Jesus because there's so many people there who've come to hear what Jesus has to say and see what Jesus might do. They've packed in. Now, it's interesting to me, as I was thinking through this, it never occurred to me before, but as I was thinking about this, um, this episode, it occurred to me what doesn't happen at this moment. I mean, imagine this. So you've got four guys who are carrying a man on a mat, on a bed, right? And they're trying to get in this crowded room, get through the door. And what doesn't happen? The crowds don't move. No one makes way. Here is a man at the back who clearly needs Jesus. And the crowd's response is not to move. No one gets out of the way. No disciple comes up. Hey, let me take you to the front so you can see and get before 
Jesus. The crowd, they stay exactly where they are. They were unwilling, in other words, to move or make room or accommodate for someone who clearly needed Jesus that was in their midst. And I think why that happened, I was thinking about this, I wonder if it's just because of the sheer fact that they were so excited to be there themselves. And they were so focused on why they were there, right? It's a natural thing. I'm excited. I've come to see Jesus. I want to see what he can do. I want to see what I need that he can respond to. I want, I need, right? And so someone else's needs kind of push to the periphery. And so they ignore him. And so that's what makes these four guys all that much more amazing to me, right? These four guys, they've come to this moment. They've come to this house not for themselves, but for their friend, The whole reason they're there is not because of their need or their want. It's because of the need of this man that they brought on a mat. And so what do they do? They get bold, right? They get creative. I mean, this is crazy. You've heard the story probably before. They go up on the roof somehow. They get up on the roof. There's mud tiles and the stubble and all this kind of stuff. And what do they do? They rip a hole in the roof, right? All right, someone comes to your house for a party. They can't get in. They rip a hole in your roof. How crazy. It's just so incredible. These guys are so committed, right? So convinced. We have to get our friend before Jesus. And so they do whatever it takes. They rip a hole in the roof. Now imagine this moment if you're Jesus and these people sit in this room, right? It's probably sometime during the day. Jesus is gathering. The room's kind of dark. All of a sudden, stuff starts falling from the ceiling. The room's filling with dust and all this kind of stuff. Everybody's pausing. What in the world's going on? All of a sudden, a hole pops out. And, you know, then light kind of pours in. I was trying to imagine what this must have been like. This light pours in the hole, right? And then all of a sudden, as if from the heavens, someone begins to descend from this light. You know, they're all squinting because they've been in the dark. And now this this guy is probably on ropes on his mat being lowered down from the sky, from the ceiling, right where? It tells us. Where does he land? Right in front of Jesus. Remember, that's their whole goal, get him before Jesus. And now they brought him before Jesus, and he lands right there in the front of Jesus. Mission accomplished for these four guys, right? That was their whole goal, get him before Jesus. And now he's before Jesus. Mission accomplished. Almost. There's one more obstacle that they encounter. On one side of this man is Jesus. But on the other side, probably sitting in the front row as prestigious guests, are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they've witnessed this whole incredible scene. And the next thing that Jesus does, they react totally against. They absolutely condemn what Jesus is going to do next. What does Jesus do? This man's laying in front of him. What does he say? It says in verse 20, And he saw their faith, and he said, Man... Your sins are forgiven you. Now, some translations, you may have this in your translation, that actually say, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And I think what the translators are trying to get at there is, is Jesus is affirming something really powerful, this one first word to this man, who's probably felt like anything but whole, is that he is human. He is a man. He is a friend of God. It's this word that by itself invites him in. I mean, God himself. Think of all the assumption this man could have had about God in his condition. And Jesus, with a single word, demonstrates love to him and receives him and affirms him. Man, friend, your sins are forgiven. With a single word, he says, you are a child of God. Right off the bat. 
And then he says something really profound. He says he saw their faith, and then he says your sins are forgiven. Jesus uh, sitting there looking up at these four faces, peering down through a hole in the ceiling, sees their faith, and he affirms it. Faith that moved them to bring someone else before him. Jesus said that's a beautiful thing. That is faith. That is love being demonstrated. Bring someone else before him. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And this is what the Pharisees and the scribes have a huge problem with. Your sins are forgiven. What do they do? They begin thinking and muttering to themselves, right? And it says that as they were doing this, they said, uh, they thought to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says this, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were religious experts. They knew God's law. They knew his instruction, his way to live, what was true about him, and how he had called his people. They knew it. They were experts. And they knew that God alone can forgive sins. They knew that. God alone can forgive sins. Because you see, sin, after all, is a rejection of God, right? It's a rebellion against God. All sin, ultimately, is sin against God. And so God alone can forgive that. And they're right. That is true. That is what God teaches. And that's true for anyone. God alone can forgive sins. And that was Jesus' point exactly, right? That's exactly what Jesus is wanting to make clear. That not only is he a great teacher of the way of God, not only is he a powerful healer in the name of God, he actually has the power and the authority to forgive sins. To forgive sins, something that only God can do because he is God in the flesh. And so Jesus is making that absolutely clear and the religious leaders sitting there before him cannot accept it. They reject it. They cannot believe it. But Jesus was not about to let their lack of faith Stop him from demonstrating God's love to this man. And so he looks at this man and he says, I want you all to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive uh, sins on earth. And so that you would know that, he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, this man stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and walked home praising God. It says some people in the crowd at the end, it says they were, um, they, they said, we've, we've seen some extraordinary things today. <laughs> I just laugh when I read that. We saw some pretty cool stuff. That was awesome. You know, but like just, of course it was amazing. I mean, it was remarkable, right? It was incredible to witness that. I mean, just think about even the things they didn't know, but we know. What do we know? We know this man couldn't walk. And yet his friends brought him. They couldn't get in. They didn't give up. They went to the roof. They lowered him down. He was sitting there. The, the, the religious leaders, the premier people, the most important people in the room said, no, you shouldn't do that. Jesus did it anyway. And that guy walked out of that room, walked out and walked home. You think that crowd moved out of the way then? Oh, man, it was like the Red Sea. I bet they never forgot the look on that guy's face. The joy of knowing that God himself had forgiven him. And had healed him. And he walked home that day. Just incredible. And it says everybody there couldn't help but praise God. 
couldn't help but give God glory and to worship him because of what they'd seen that day. So this is an incredible encounter with Jesus that we see here. And here's what I want us to do in the time we have left. I want to I ask three questions that I want us to ask of ourselves. So I want to give you these three questions, and I want to encourage you to write them down, jot down these three questions. There's places for your notes on your little handout card, because uh, I want you to take these with you. I want you to think through and pray through and talk with God about these yourself. Um, you can jot them on your phone if you want to send a note to yourself. If that's more helpful. But I want you to get these three questions. And here's the first question. First question are we so amazed by Jesus that we get excited about the chance to introduce others to him? Are we so amazed by Jesus that we get excited about the chance to introduce others to him? These four guys were so amazed by Jesus that when we talked about that, they couldn't wait. It was their goal. They had to get him before Jesus. They had to. It's because Jesus to them, he, he was an amazing teacher, but he was more than that. He, he was the only one they knew that could heal their friend. And they came to understand even more than that. He was the only one with the power and the authority to heal him within, to forgive sins. See, only the God who created you and loves you can heal you on the inside and the outside. Right? Only the God who created you and loves you can forgive you. Every follower of Jesus knows that reality. Because you've experienced that reality. If you know Jesus, you know that grace, you know the power of his love in your life. You may not think anything remarkable like this episode has ever happened in your life, but it has. That's a miracle. That God loves you and forgives you and invites you into life with him. And so you have this remarkable reality that he's forgiven you and he's given you his spirit. And he is with, over time, he is transforming you, making you more and more and more like him. Life with Jesus is amazing. And it's full of joy and it's full of freedom and it's a life of grace. And that is the life that we have. And so it's a life that's lived in confidence that you, you are totally known and totally loved by God. Just like that man who was laying on the mat before Jesus that day. Totally known and totally loved. So these four men, they didn't just bring their friend before that Jesus because, well, I guess we're supposed to do that, right? They didn't bring their friend that day to, to that meeting because it was a special meeting you're supposed to bring your friends to, right? They brought their friend that day not out of guilt, not out of any sense of obligation. Why did they bring their friend that day? Because they were absolutely convinced about who Jesus was and what Jesus and Jesus alone could do. He could heal him. He could forgive him. So I think as we look at this, as we consider this, the question is, are we convinced? Because if we are, we'll be motivated by the same things, right? We'll be motivated by faith and love. That's what motivated these guys, faith and love. And so are we, again, are we so amazed by Jesus that we get excited about the chance to introduce other people to him? So that's the first question. Second question, what can we do to bring people before Jesus? What can we do, like these four men, to bring people, to actually bring people before Jesus? Sometimes I think we read these stories about Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I prefer to imagine myself, and I'm ashamed to admit this on a level, but it's kind of the best person in the story. You know, there's like Jesus, and then like I find the other good person in the story. I'm like, okay, that's who I'm like, or I want to be like at least, right? That's kind of how we function with these stories. 
And I think the reality is if we're looking at this story, like we want to think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like these four guys. Like, I want to be, that's me in the story. That's what I would have done because I love my friends, right? I love my friends. I'm a good person. I want to be like these four guys. I'd be these four guys. And so we look at this and we think, yeah, that's who I would have been in the story, not the crowd. But if I really think about the perseverance it took for these four guys to do what they did, if I think about the boldness and the courage and the creativity, the indifference, I mean, think about it, the indifference to what the crowd thought, the total indifference to what people in power that were in the room, what they thought, they didn't care about any of that. They literally tore the roof open to get this man, their friend, before Jesus. And if I'm honest, I think I have to come to, the term, come to terms with the fact that the reality is I'm probably more like the crowd most of the time than these four guys when it comes to people in my life and bringing them before Jesus. I'm more focused on myself, my needs. God, what, what can you do for me today? We're supposed to bring our needs before Jesus. I'm not saying that. But if that's all it is, if I come to worship on a Sunday and it's, man, what am I going to get out of this? See, these four guys, they showed up. And the whole thing was about their friend. <laughs> to bring their friend before Jesus, not about them. And so what would it look like for us to be like these men? To love others and our lives enough to overcome obstacles? What would it look like for you to be bold? To be creative? To be resilient? To be unfazed by public humiliation? To be uh, totally willing to risk humiliation or even rejection by people? Because you love them so much, you want to bring them before Jesus. Sometimes um, I think I'm also tempted uh, to think, well, this is different because Jesus isn't here, right? And this is a story where Jesus, okay, I can take to Jesus because Jesus is physically standing in a room somewhere. I can take my friends. How do we take our friends to Jesus? I want to give you real quick three practical ways I think you can bring people before Jesus. The first one is this. Pray. Pray. If you want to see your friends encounter Jesus, pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for them over and over again. As often as you see them, as often as you talk to them, not out loud, don't be crazy. Pray for them in your heart, in your mind, silently. Be praying for people in your life over and over. Pray for them. Bring them before Jesus through prayer, right? Pray constantly for the people that God has put in your life. Just start there. What I've found is, when I pray for people, my heart for those people grows exponentially. So pray. Second, hospitality. First one's pray. Second, hospitality. These four guys had some kind of relationship with this paralyzed man. We don't know what it was, but to do what they did, there was some profound connection, right? To go to the lengths they went. And the question, I think, is, do you have relationships with people in your life that need Jesus? Of course you do. I do, you do, we all do. We have relationships with people in our life that have a need for Jesus. And so what I want to say is, start by thinking in terms of hospitality. Start simple. Invite someone to go watch an Astros game with you. Have them come over and have dinner at your house. You know, invite them for a cup of coffee. Just begin there. Get to know them. In other words, be a friend to someone. It's a great place to start. Friendships, you know what friendships take? Time. So this is the rub, right? More relationship, more time. How do I find time? Time is precious. It is valuable. 
and for most of us, it is in short supply. But the truth is that hospitality and friendships and relationships, they require sacrifice. They always do. They always do. But it's worth it to bring someone before Jesus. These guys were willing to set aside everything else to bring someone before Jesus. And the question is, will we too? Hospitality is a great way to do that. Friendship, building relationships with those who need Jesus. There's no shortcut. And then three, take risk. Pray, hospitality, and take risk. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Maybe for you, it's that conversation over coffee and being, able to go, being willing to go there. Just being willing, you know there's some hints, there's something not right with your friend's marriage, and you've been talking all around it, go there and ask God to help you go there. Get real with people. Take risk and ask the Holy Spirit to be at work as you do that. If you're sitting there and you're having a conversation and you get the sense that someone is just really dealing with loneliness, speak to that. Don't let it go by. Speak about the ways that God has ministered to you in your own times of loneliness. I mean, use it as an opportunity to bring someone through honesty and vulnerability and love to that place where they can encounter Jesus. But it, take, it takes risk. It takes stepping out of your comfort zone. So pray, hospitality, and take risk. All right? So that's how we can bring people before Jesus. Just a great place to start. There's other ways. Be creative. Be bold. But those are places you can start. And so here's the last question. Who in our lives needs to encounter Jesus? I want you to think about the people in your life that need to encounter Jesus. The crowds gathered around Jesus that day. They knew enough to get close to Jesus, didn't they? They knew enough to get there themselves. But from the story, no one else did what these four guys did. No one brought anybody. No one brought anyone else. They came, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they came. And not only did they come to be around Jesus, good step, but they also had a right theology. It's really interesting to me. They knew all the right things to think. But what did they lack? They lacked the two things that these men had, faith and love. Faith in who Jesus was and love for others. Only the four men brought the paralyzed man before them. Only they were there for the sake of someone else. And the danger is that we think our faith is ultimately about us. That's the natural kind of tendency we all have, that our faith is about us. I think it would be easy today, hearing that, to feel guilty, right? To leave here feeling guilty about the fact that, yeah, maybe I've been very selfish and very selfish. Maybe God needs to do some work on your heart in that place. But this is not about that, right? Because the reality is it's not about me. And don't hear me say this is all about others. Because that's equally an error. This is not all about others. We need to think more about others. This is not about us. It's not about others. This is about God, right? It was all about getting them before, getting this man before Jesus. This is about God. Because only God can do what only God can do. Life with God is ultimately about God, not about us. And so we like to say this around here, that we, we have three simple goals. We're going to shape our life around, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And I remember when I first shared this goal with someone at Apostles, they made me laugh because their response was, wow, that's a lot of Jesus. Um, <laughs> and it is. It's a lot of Jesus, you know, like be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That's a lot of Jesus, you know, in just a few short words. And it is a lot of Jesus because there's something really beautiful what happens when there's a lot of Jesus, right? When we can be with him, there's something beautiful that happens. When we actually draw near to him in those personal moment-to-moment realities of intimacy with God 
And the God who made us, the God of the universe, who came in the flesh, you know, gives us his spirit. That God, we can be with that God. And as we do that, he shapes us. And we become more and more like him. Our heart becomes like his heart. And as our hearts change, so do our hands and our voices, the words we use, the choices we make, the priorities we have. Everything begins shape, being shaped by who Jesus is in our lives. And in the Gospel account of Luke, it's interesting, just before this encounter with the paralyzed man, Jesus stands up in a synagogue and he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is telling us he came to usher in a new kingdom, right? God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what it looks like, he says. Good news to the poor, freedom from uh, the prison of sin, uh, healing, deliverance from evil. This is what it looks like when my kingdom comes. But how does the kingdom come? The kingdom comes through his church by the power of his spirit, through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. Jesus said it comes through the Holy Spirit at work in his church through the proclamation of the gospel. The kingdom comes through us, in other words. And it comes just like it came for this man laying before him one person at a time. One person at a time. And the truth is, all of us need to be brought before Jesus, don't we? We all are like this man, this man who was paralyzed. We all need to be brought before him. But the other reality is that we're all surrounded by people that need Jesus. Everyone in our life needs Jesus. And so I want to invite you, even this morning, we're just take a, a moment of silence um, as we pray and close. I just want you to ask God, would you bring to my mind, even right now, some people in my life that need Jesus? Everybody needs Jesus, but maybe just one or two people, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, someone in your own family who needs Jesus, who needs the healing of Jesus, who needs the forgiveness of Jesus. Because the most loving thing we could ever do for anyone in our life is what these four guys did to bring them before Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks for these four men. We thank you for just their faith and their love, what you affirmed in them. Because they loved their friend enough to do whatever it took to bring him before you. And so, Lord, this, this morning, we just, we want that to be the longing of our heart. And, Lord, I confess, we all, we all confess, we're, we can get so focused on ourselves and what we want and what we need. And, Lord, you meet our needs. We need you to meet our needs. But, Lord, there are those in our lives that need you desperately. And you've given us the privilege of sharing the most amazing thing that has ever happened to us with the people in our lives. And that is that you made us, and you love us, and you forgive us. So right now, Lord, just as we're praying, I just pray that you bring just one person to mind. Holy Spirit, would you bring one person to mind that we could pray for, that we could demonstrate hospitality to, that, Lord, as you lead, and through your power, and through your mercy and your grace, we could take bold steps of faith, take some risk in that relationship. Lord, you bring one person to mind. Lord, we thank you for that person. 
We thank you that you've brought them to our attention, and we just ask again, Lord, that you would give us faith and love in Jesus that goes out from this place and is excited to invite others to know Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.